Behind every great artist, there's a great band who help take the music from the studio to the stage. In each episode, I talk with some of the most accomplished and sought-after musicians in the world, delving into the details of their backgrounds, their stories, and their journeys, doing away with the fiction, and getting into the facts. It's not about the hype. It's not about the product. It's about the players. It is indeed that time again. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you're keeping safe and well. And hope you're managing the Dodge Rona. In this episode of the podcast, we talk to Anthony Sweetsticks Lewis, better known as Sweetsticks. He's toured the world with Jess Glenn, been in his own bands, developed artists, and in this episode, we find out how he pieces together his puzzle. Check it out. Anthony Sweetsticks Lewis. Hey. <laughs> how we doing, man? You all right? I'm good. I'm great, man. How are you, coach? So how you been, man? What's been going on with you over the past little while? I've been good, you know, man. Obviously, you know, we're, we're going through a pandemic. Yeah, shit. I mean, you know, it means it means something different to everybody. I'm noticing, but we're all here, so you know, it's, cool. you know, it's funny, right? Because obviously, when I'm not touring, right, this is kind of what I mm-hmm. do anyway. I'm just kind of like being a bit of a hermit, you know, kind of just focusing mm-hmm. on writing and producing and stuff like that. You know, just just practicing being musical. You know. So, what are you listening to at the moment, man? What am I listening to? Um, you know, me, coach. I listen to so many. Yeah. Oh, I listen to so much. Um. I'm listening to a producer called Oscar Gores and mm-hmm. he's, he's like, um, he's part of that, like Max Martin camp basically. Mm-hmm. And, um, he's put out a song. He's produced a song with an artist mm-hmm. called Ali X, I think it is. And, um, mm-hmm. it's like a kind of like a kind of cool pop type of thing, but I just really like the production. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I've been listening to him. I've been I've been kind of getting into what he's about because he done like some stuff for the weekend and that kind of thing. And so mm. yeah, I've really been listening heavily to like producers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. So that that that's a good that's a good little tip, man. I might check that out. <laughs> <laughs> I might check him out. I mean, for me, it's kind of similar. I can't really if I don't like the production on music it's really hard for me to like the music do you know what i mean so yeah. um even if they're good songs i, I kind of like tend to kind of resonate with good production so yeah. if that's that I, i'll definitely check it out yeah you should man you like but, it um, oh, i mean it's crazy okay okay <laughs> i'd like this funny man you saying that that's really interesting to me i'd like to spend the majority of this podcast really talking to you about music and the industry in kind of a bit of a generalized way. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, I want to mm-hmm. talk to you about you as a musician also, but we're going to cover a few different areas. But um, I guess the first place to hit is obviously you've been Jess Glenn's drummer since um, since she's had a live band, basically, right? Um, Pretty much, yeah. How long, how long has that been? That's been, do you know what? It actually has been from 2014, I think it is, you know? 2014 jesus yeah it's so like six years that's, that's six years <laughs> yeah that's a long time that's a long time 
That's <laughs> a long time. Did you? Um, I guess. I mean, when you when you did that audition, uh, could you have imagined that you'd be on that type of gig for that long? Do you know what? It was really funny doing that audition um, because it was really. Do you remember because- how that came about? I definitely do remember how this came about because <laughs> I called you and was like, Kojo, I've just left an indie band that I was in. And I was like, Kojo, mm-hmm. I need money. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Kojo, I need money. I'm available, um, you know, to, to work. And um, he was like, okay, cool, man. Well, you know, I'll keep, I'll keep in mind, you know, blah, 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 doing the Kojo thing, Kojo classic. <laughs> 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 but hey, but the funny thing is though, man, you don't shoot, you don't score, and it just so happened that that was in a time where there was actually a lot of new projects coming out around the same time. So sure, um, yeah, your timing was impeccable, which is a great thing for a drummer, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it's actually it was just crazy that whole time period because it's like when you called me for this audition and you said mm-hmm. there's this girl called Jess Glynn, I was like, Jess Glynn, I was like. I know a Jess Glynn and this Jess Glynn went to my secondary school. <laughs> so I was like, mm-hmm. is this, is this Jess, Jess? And so mm-hmm. um, I basically done my research and, you know, I was like looking at what Jess was doing, blah, blah, blah. And then I figured out, I was like, oh my goodness, this is the same Jess. And then, um, <laughs> and then, so I, it's funny cause I didn't message her to tell her that I was going to go mm. to the audition. So when she saw me at the audition, she was like, oh my goodness. Anthony. Yeah. So it was just, it was just like kind of like a good vibe from the get go. I remember that. And knowing you now, I really, cause you didn't, you didn't tell me that either. And I know she <laughs> didn't know you was coming. So knowing you, like I know you now, I know you thought to yourself, okay, watch when this shit happens. <laughs> I know you had that in your back pocket. Like, okay. I definitely did. I definitely did. At that point, I wasn't really working as a session musician because I was in like a, an indie type of band and I was trying to do the band thing. And then um, we, we mm-hmm. split up. And so I had done like a few session things prior to that. Yeah, but it was like stars aligning, which always doesn't happen like that. And I remember as well, it's like there were a few people that I thought would have been really good for that particular role. Um you were one of those people, but when it transpired that you also knew her, it's like, it, it was just like a double whammy because you were definitely one of the strongest people, but then the actual personal connection made it even better. So um, that was great. And that was, you know, like I said, I mean, we could talk about that forever, but in short, you've been there for six years and it's been a wild ride. But you mentioned before that, um, you were in an indie band before that. Tell me a little bit about that band and what you were doing there. Well, I went to a school that just kind of like had a lot of like musical talent and like a lot of musical people and people that I still keep in touch with today. And so I was sessioning for a bit as a teenager, you know, doing that kind of thing. And then like, mm-hmm. I was like, I want to be in a band because I was really listening to, what was I, lis- I was listening to things like Paramore. You know, do you mm-hmm. know, do you know, uh, it's like a kind of rock pop indie band and I was like I want to do something like this and so <clears throat> mm-hmm. I was in band for a while and um, we were managed by a guy called Wayne Russell um, mm-hmm. who looking after an artist called AME at the time and they had um, I remember AME yeah yeah they had that song with Duke De- um, Duke DeMont um, called Need You 100% mm-hmm. and so you mm-hmm. know things were really good 
um, it was actually it was actually going great, man, to be honest. And then um, just yeah, kind of, Velvet Stream. I remember the band. Y'all was dope. Velvet I remember Stream. coming to the gig. The name. I wanted to keep that name quiet, but we'll, we'll do it. We'll, we'll do it. <laughs> Oh shit! Yeah, it's just all, I just remember it because I remember really liking it. I remember, um, I remember obviously going to a gig, and then I remember like checking out stuff, and I thought it was dope. I really enjoyed yeah. it. It was, you know, it's interesting because, and we'll probably touch on this like later, but like the the actual band itself had like there was three original members, and then me and a bass mm-hmm. player joined to make like the kind of collective band. Mm-hmm. I personally really enjoyed it. I always thought it was cool when I saw the lead singer. Um, you know, she was different. She was like, um, where, was she, where was she from again? She was Samoan. She was Samoan, and she would like, yeah. have like these yeah. R&B type of licks, but then with like quite an aggressive, growly voice. And it was just like, mm-hmm. just really different. And it was really eclectic. And um, I've always gone mm-hmm. to that eclecticism in in things in general, mm-hmm. whether it be in um, in like in a song or in a production or in a musician or an artist or whatever I've just always really enjoyed like left sent like left things moving to the right into the pop kind of game so sure sure we'll probably talk about that later but um, being in that band just I, I learned a lot of different things because it kind of exposed me to and that kind of forced me to get into like the David Bowie's and like you know, mm-hmm. really digging into like the Talking Heads and you know David Burns and um, that kind mm. of music because um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This wasn't really in my household when I was growing up, but I always loved that kind of thing. Like Coldplay's one of, like my favorite bands. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm just a massive like anything that basically feels like it can be played in a stadium. I'm in. That's right, right, right. You know, anything that feels like <laughs> melancholic. And you, do you know what I mean? Anything like that, I'm so in. So it was dramatic, yeah. That dramatic, my, yeah. That band was hella dramatic. I actually think you came to, mm-hmm. to see. I think you you saw us. Was it at Wired in Shoreditch House? It that sounds about right. That sounds about right. I think so. Yeah, I think you were there. Yeah, fun times. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a great band, and I guess obviously you were there as the drummer, and I, I remember there was a very eclectic vibe to it. I felt like your drumming with the way they all played was a really interesting mix. But as well as that, um, were you involved in the creative process with that band? Were you recording? Were you getting in, involved in the writing and things of that nature? Absolutely. It was actually a really, really cool experience because back then I just kind of like was getting into like guitar and stuff because I just really mm-hmm. enjoyed things like, so like I would write a lot of like the chord sequences and stuff. Cause I just really enjoy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. chord sequences with like a pop type of like top line. That's kind of what I was really enjoying. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was really heavy. I was mm-hmm. recording, you know, all the drum parts and stuff, recording guitars, writing, not necessarily lyrics and stuff. We would kind of leave that mm-hmm. more to the lead singer because it, we just wanted it to feel like it was coming from a personal space. But yeah, it was, I was definitely a lot more creatively involved in that process like a different type of thing when you're working with like a Jess Glynn, for example, or whomever as a session musician. I was going to say, but saying that you managed to do get involved with some of the studio recording with Jess as well, right? For sure. Absolutely. And that was, that was, that was great. Things like hold my hand. Um, that was great. Man. That was amazing. I remember when Jess sent me, um, 
the uh, the demo for that, and it was like a kick. It was like a like a nine oh nine type of kick and a clap. And she was like, mm-hmm. you know, like what do you hear on it? Basically, like you know, like for the drums. And so mm-hmm. going into rack, it was lit. It was like you know. So you know, what do you think? And I was like, you know, you should have that kind of world vibe, that world kind of. Mm-hmm. And they were like, what do you mean? You know, <laughs> I went into the, to the drum, to the live room, drum room, whatever you want to call it. And mm-hmm. um, I started mm-hmm. playing the pattern that's kind of like the theme throughout the song. Like if you listen to the song, Hold My Hand, mm-hmm. in 2015, mm-hmm. I think it was, it was it 2015? And we recorded it in 2014, I think. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. remember. And um, there's just like a Tom kind of thing that kind of runs pretty much throughout the whole song. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> and I think they, I think, yeah. they, I think they kind of mangled with it a bit, um, and like changed a couple of sounds. But the general vibe of that whole thing, I, I kind of basically inspired that basically that's a really powerful building block too so i guess it must have been amazing for you to be involved in that and kind of hear that come to fruition and be fully produced and this and that whatever yeah that was that was a really cool experience actually to see that and then to see it like just to be in the room and then see it go to number one you know it's like i had i had been involved in songs like as a drummer um with my old band and like, you know, we would get like the BBC Radio 1 play and, you know, back then it was like radio had a lot of power and stuff like that. I'd, I'd always been like playing stuff creatively that would kind of be on the radio. But to see like, like, you know, a song that I had drummed on go to number one, that was like for me personally, that was like a, a personal goal and achievement that I wanted to do as a drummer. That's fantastic, man. Fantastic. Um, congratulations on that. And I mean, and everything else, I guess, to then do that and then be able to play in that band for, for so long as well. That's another thing that must be really rewarding also. So you spent, you spent basically six years playing with Jess Glenn, who I guess we could loosely or casually describe as pop soul dance artist, maybe um, something of that type. And then I guess, how long were you in the, were you in um, Velvet Stream for the previous, the indie band? Well, I was in the indie band for four years, I think it was. Exactly. So what I'm driving at is that, you know, for the past 10 years, you've played with pop, soul, dance, and then an indie band. You know I mean? So Pretty much, yeah. with that in mind, yeah, how would you describe yourself as a drummer? Um, that's a tough one. Um, I feel like... A lot of my drum type of studying, should I say, um, mm-hmm. of like studying drummers and trying to mimic other drummers and stuff like that. I did a lot of that kind of stuff in my teens. Um, I was I was always really interested in music. I'd, I'd, I'd always known I wanted to be a drummer. So by the time I was like 12, 13, I was really listening to like Jeff Picaro and like, Billy Cobham and Dennis Chambers, who were more like jazz fusion-based drummers. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, so, and so I personally feel like I've kind of... My, my, my style as a musician and drummer is, is just quite... Me- it's like messy. It's like everything. Because I like... I genuinely like... <laughs> right. do, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, I like everything, you know? I, 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 loved, I love, you know, musicians and drummers like 
Abe Laborio Jr., who played for like Paul McCartney, you know, and um, Carl Barrett, who played for Bob Marley and Steve Gadd and, you know, Elvin Jones. And, you know, I grew up like in a, in a jazz kind of background as well as playing in church. So like, I, I, and I just, I've always kind of done little bits of everything, if that makes sense. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, it does make sense. It does make sense. Um, were you self-taught? Um, I was self-taught a lot, but I had an older brother that was also a drummer. But the majority of my learning really came from like just being hungry um, to learn about drums and learn more about musicians and more about drummers. Yeah, I was going to say, because you've always had what I would call a really... You've had a, you have a wide range of influences. So, at what stage did you sort of realize that you were into lots of things that perhaps a lot of your peers may not have been into, or you were, you know, or that you really had like quite a wide range of things that you like to listen to? What kind of stage was that, and who were you checking out? It was it was quite difficult for me to sit in one group of people. I did. I, I remember noticing that like, I was like, I actually don't really have one solid group of friends. It was like, I'd be sitting with the jazzers one minute, then the guys at church and the gospel type of guys. Mm-hmm. And then like, you know, I'd be really into like cold play, like heavily, like, you know, <laughs> I know heavily, you know, I feel, I feel like by the time I was like 17, I knew I was like, Oh, this like I'm not really like everyone else in that sense of like I don't I don't do one thing I don't sit in one type of circle of musicians and mm-hmm. I'm interested in music like that from one perspective. One person, if I can add, one person that really opened my eyes and my ears to understanding, or I would say more perceived music in that type of way, was Labyrinth. Seeing mm-hmm. studio from so young, like from 15 upwards, um, he was always very eclectic in the music he would listen to that like he got given his music to um, by his old manager. And um, he also gave me the same CD. So basically, the, on this on this like compilation, album or CD, whatever you want to call it, they had like, you know, some Beatles, some Beach Boys, um, mm-hmm. so it had a really wide range of music, and so, just, ev- like, I remember getting really into Ringo, like, being like, wow, wow, like, <laughs> I remember going like, I don't understand, like, he's, he's not doing much, but it just runs, it just feels great, mm-hmm. you know, so... That kind of shaped my ears definitely musically in general and just just the way how I look at music today anyway. What I want to get to then, it's like, it's really important for people to listen to a wide range of music in general, I believe. I think that you can only really play or make good music 
um, when you're musically matured. You know what I mean? And I think the best things come from knowing a lot about different things and being able to blend because the beauty is in the gaps. You know, it's all about what's between the notes. It's in the kind of variations because, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. So it's kind of like, what can you bring a little different? How can you kind of mix this kind of, it's like a, it's like being a chef. You know what I mean? It's like, Absolutely. how can you cook chicken different than the next dude? You know, what little fucking seasoning, what little flavor, what heat can you cook it at? What can you do to make chicken not taste like regular chicken? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so it's, I think it's mad important to have that. So yeah. it's like what I'm thinking with you. So when you're now sort of like becoming an accomplished musician and I guess you've played from young and you're sort of like starting to kind of mingle with your peers at your teenage years and whatnot, or, you know, what did you want to do? Did you want to be a session musician? What type of things were you doing in regards to your playing? Well, that's, that's a, that's an interesting question. Growing up, I didn't even understand the concept of a session musician. So I was 13 and I remember my auntie taking me to see Usher at Wembley, Wembley Arena. Um, and I remember seeing a drummer, right, um, on the stage. And I remember going, oh, wait, there's a drummer. I, I didn't realize, like, there's a there's a drummer on when Usher performs. I just didn't, I had no idea about, like, you could play for an artist. And so from that, right, right. do you know what I mean? So when I saw that, that was, like, the moment when I was like, I really... Like, I'm, I'm going to work to do this. This is what I want to do. I just want to mm-hmm. play drums on big stages. And basically from that point till I'd say, I'd say maybe 19, that's kind of what I really, really, really wanted to do. When did you realize that maybe, because I remember meeting you around about that time, mm-hmm. and I remember you even saying to me at one point, you were into it. And I remember you doing sessions and doing things here and there. Yeah. But I remember you quite quite clearly. It's like, it wasn't like it was for you. It wasn't something that you were dying to do. So when did you realize that actually, it you know, just being a regular session drummer playing with lots of different artists wasn't necessarily maybe what your path was? When did you realize that? Well, do you know what? That's a, that's a, this is an interesting, that's a really interesting question. And, and no one, no one's ever actually asked me this. So... I grew up with a lot of creative people, a labyrinth who I've already mentioned, and I would, you know, go to the studio <clears throat> down in Chocolate Factory and I would see that type of creative process. At that time, I was, like, trying to still be like Jeff Tame Watts and be like, you know, <laughs> right, right. a jazz drummer. But I'd just kind of be in the studio. I'd see things like songs being made, really weird, interesting beats, interesting tracks, you, you said something about mixing um, styles and stuff. I can't remember exactly what you said. I learned I learned a lot of that stuff from being in in that kind of studio space from really young. And so when I saw that whole process and just like being in studios and kind of coming in, like I do a gig and then come in in the night when Lab was there and like I kind of just like listened to music. I, I began to I began to realize that. I actually really enjoy like listening to music, like listening to interesting things. From that point, I would say that was when 
Like, because I had done a few sessions, as you as you were saying. I remember you actually mm-hmm. called me to play with someone. Was it uh, Tinchy Strider? Um, yeah, I remember you coming down to do the Tinchy Strider gig, and I think that. The, the whole thing got canceled for whatever reason. I can't remember what it was. But the interesting thing to me about you was there were a lot of other drummers um, that kind of, that I met around the same time. A lot of young British drummers, um, Ginger Hamilton, um, Dexter Hercules, um, Jesse Grant, um, yourself. Do you know what I mean? A, a few other people who basically have all been working consistently for the past 10 years. Samson Jatto I met around then too. And it's kind of like, I can't remember what happened, but I remember a conversation at one point afterwards and you were like, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm not really, I don't know if I'm going to do this session thing, you know, it's like, maybe call one of those guys. They're really into it. And I remember, I remember you saying that to me, <laughs> but, um, Talking about you and the things you were doing at that period, and obviously you went off, you did your band, mm. you kind of played with Jess, and that's kind of, you know, that, that that's a long period in time. But one of the things that's come up um, with you is that you're one of the few musicians I've met that um, has a real or an ex- expressed a real strong, keen interest in um, A&R and artist development. When, when did that come about? I've always actually been an A&R naturally because I, I've always really loved music. Where it really stemmed from was actually when I was kind of being around like Labyrinth in his early days. I, I basically just saw so much eclecticism. I, ha- I basically had a friend and I talked to him today still. Um, he's a producer called Raph Riley. And... Um, mm-hmm. Basically, I remember I was just like, yo, man, your beats are just crazy. Yeah, yeah. Actually, okay. funny enough, um, this producer, Raph Riley, yeah. actually went, we went to the same school. And so I was, uh, I was in the music room, right? I was like 12. And then this new kid comes in, he's like 11 years old. And basically, he hands me over like a CD of beats, like the next day. He was like, yo, I make beats and I'm like the fastest rapper. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? Like, I'm just, I was just in like the drum, the music room trying to practice drums, basically. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm, I'm telling you, man, my, my school, I'm just going to say Fortismere was a crazy school. It had so much talent. And like, I definitely wouldn't be doing the things I'm doing today if it wasn't for that school. So I just have to put that out there. Mm, that mm. sense of A&R for me, I've always kind of had it. And so I basically introduced Raph to Odd Child, which was Labyrinth, Labyrinth and Mark's thing at the time. Basically, I just knew that this guy, basically, he could match up to the caliber as a beat maker and a producer to Lab. I was like, you should mess with this person, you know? And so as time went by, I, I, I didn't actually know what the role of an A&R or anything or an A&R scout, I actually had no idea. And so mm-hmm. as I was like, you know, touring, being in bands and stuff like that, I'd always kind of just have my eyes out for anything that was interesting or fresh or different or anything that was like eclectic that kind of matched what I had always grown up feeling that I was around, basically. You know, I grew up with a lot of crazy musicians, you know, like there's 
a, a musician called Sam Best, who, um, you know, uh, was Amy Winehouse's MD. I'd see, like, Sam Best do gigs with Amy. Um, you know, like, I was in a, in a hip-hop band with uh, Michael Kuanu, who's now, like, a folk artist. You know, then, like, I'd go to, like, Labyrinth's mum's house and, like, take my drums and set up and we'd just be practising and stuff. And so what I noticed happening is, and it's funny because I can tell now, all of just, just being around so much creative people and so much creativity, I began to be able to recognise what it looks like because I've just grown up around it. I kind of, it, it just, it just happened for me. Things like that was just happening naturally. So like I was in, I was in the, the indie band, as I said, and um, the bass player, who's actually a really good producer called Dan Holloway, um, you know, he, he had like some problems and couldn't play the bass for a while. So then another, another guy, Henry, um, came in and he was like a friend of the band and stuff. And he was a producer. And, um, you know, I remember, you know, everybody kind of at that point knew it was like, oh, you know, Anthony has like this kind of in with, you know, like Labyrinth and that kind of thing, you know, it was that kind of energy. And so I was like, I'm like, they'd play, I'd basically go to their house. Um, it was like a production duo. They were called Milkman. It's, it's quite funny. I basically listened to their beats and listened to what they were doing. And basically what I was doing, I was, I was actually referencing them to the things that Lab was doing and the things that Raf was doing. So then I was like, oh, wait, these are actually getting pretty good. And like, they, they have more of like a kind of like poppy based kind of sound. So I was like, oh, well, I know that they don't really have that at Odd Child. They don't really have that kind of thing. So I took the group to, um, to Odd Child. At this point, I still didn't even really know what A&R really was. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, w- w- what is that to you? Is it about connecting dots? Is it about finding talent? Is it about all those things? How do you see A&R as a role? I think A&R as a role for me personally is being able to spot talent. It's being able to develop talent so that the artists can be, can grow into the best that they are supposed to be, that they can be. I think an A&R is to understand the climate of which, which um, lane or avenue that artist should move into. That's just me. I feel like my my kind of exercising, should we say, of A&R has been quite a different one because whilst I was doing all these things, you know, like I also developed an artist of my own at the time called Ashniko. You know, we done like a, we done like a uh, an EP, an EP deal with Parlophone, and um, she's gone on to some really really good things. She just co-wrote the new Doja Cat song, actually. Um, wow, wow. Uh, birds on Birds of Prey. So you were building Ashniko and developing that project whilst um, whilst still working with Jess, right? Yeah. And that's the thing. It was like, when you're a musician, you really have an advantage. Because what I found out from, from my personal experiences is that from doing so much touring and traveling, and even with Jess, mm-hmm. like going to Miami, one minute we'd be in Miami, the next minute, next minute we'd be in Japan. What would happen is, is that a lot of artists would from that region would support Jess or they would support. So I remember like like Norway and then there was like a girl called Julie Bergen that supported Jess. And I remember mm-hmm. looking at her being like, yo, this is, this is kind of dope. Like I remember being like, you've actually like, you've got something there. 
from touring, I began to understand, and also just going out, partying, and living, living in that community for a short space of time, I began to absorb the regions, the individual regions that I'd been to. So it was almost like widens your palette to to know what different artists sound like in different regions. Mm-hmm. So I guess you would say like, so do you feel like your abilities and experiences as well as a musician are important for you in, with regards to how you approach the concept of A&R in? A hundred percent. I think for, for me personally, the same passion that I have as a musician to try and find new music to absorb it also, it like, it comes from there. That's the thing that makes me want to listen to a new artist I noticed that more in the American A&R. I noticed that, you know, like you have like an L.A. Reid or like a Jimmy Iovine, you know, who like L.A. Reid was a drummer. He was a musician. He toured, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Iovine, he's a producer. He's made records. It's like when you, when you live a life really about music and being involved in the creative process as well, it can give you, can give you an extra edge. You just listen in a different kind of way. You know, it's like if I'm listening to like a like a track, for example, me personally, I'm like, I'm listening to like, what is the texture of the kick? That's that's like a the texture of that kick is quite different from the genre of the guitars. The guitars feel quite wide and quite tamer in parlory. Like, oh wow, okay. This kick feels like it was on like a Buster Rhymes record from the nineties. Like that for me <laughs> No, but do, do you know what I mean? Like I've I, that's how I'm listening, personally, to music. Yeah, yeah. But I personally, that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen, but I personally haven't met too many musicians that have actually gone down the road of actually a and So I think what I get from that is that the ear of non-musicians is sometimes um, valued in a different way than the era of musicians. Like, what, what do you think about that? Do you think that's fair or do you think that makes sense? Or do you think, do you understand why that could, might be? I think there is a difference. I think some, you know, me being a musician that's kind of gone down the road of like being like, let's just say like a jazzer, you know, that, that expression of like, mm-hmm. like a purist, should we say? Like, mm it can kind of cloud your ear. It's like things like jazz. I, I, I consider it to be quite like a, not in a, not, I love jazz and I've actually come to realize that jazz is a, is a massive, like a massive part of everything, but like, it's quite a selfish type of music. You have to really indulge yourself in it. I guess what I'm kind of getting at is that the non-musician ear kind of says, well, look, I don't care if it's the fucking a ninth, 11th, 13th, or I don't care how clever that pattern is. I just know whether I like it or I don't. Whereas sometimes musicians can be infatuated with what they're technically doing as opposed to what the overall thing is. But either way, I don't think either is right or wrong. And if they can't exist, it's just a question of balance, isn't it? Well, this is what I was going to say. I I actually think, the best guys are the ones that have a balance and the guys that have lived both lanes. Like, I think it's important to listen to music as like a, you know, should we say punter? Because at the end of the day, I, I just believe you do need, you do need both perceptions, but there's a way to do yes. where you can actually be both. I don't think you, I don't think that's right. It's more important than the other, you know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. 
And again, I think that it's just that because I would say like in the past 20 years and 25 years in particular in music, there's been some, there's been some great music that's been made by quite non-musical people. I think that's been because of technology and you have the sort of like the computer era where you have like DJs and producers and people that, you know, that can't actually play music, but have ears and are, they're obviously musicians because I think that being a musician is actually a completely separate thing than actually the skill of playing an instrument. But I think that, but I think that that's kind of then started to make people think that, oh, well, musicality doesn't matter. For sure. Can I, can I just add to that? I just want to say it's been like that for a while. You know, people that necessarily instrumentalists, should we say, or play instruments make me, you know, they, you know, they're kind of like making the music and stuff. But the, <clears throat> the truth is, the, the, the best guys to actually do it, they work with musicians. Dr. Dre is a perfect example of someone who will bring in like Mike, Oliz- uh, you know, Elizondo, who mm-hmm. is an amazing jazz bass player. And you'd find him doing mm-hmm. like, like jazz gigs to like a crowd of 50 people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know mm-hmm, what I mean? mm-hmm, he'd, mm-hmm. he'd go and hear a musician and work with a Scott Storch, for example, and then you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, the piano riff, <clears throat> you know, to that, um, to still drain. And so, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, it's like my, my, my thing is, it's like I think people that are not necessarily instrumentalists can, you know, play, can make music, and they, they you know, it's all fun, but. I think it does give you an extra edge if you if you can play an instrument if you can you know um, well, you, well yeah it's just it's just it's just, an, it's just it's it's another tool I think I think that's what it is I, I think it's another tool it's like it's like you're going into war it's like okay I got this gun I got this knife I got this holster in my like fucking <laughs> in my back pocket you know what I mean it's just it's just another tool for you might not know what situation comes up it's like you might need something tucked in your shoes you know what I mean you never really know but it's better to have and not need than need and not have you know what I mean so it's all about how you use those different tools too but when we talk about things like this it's really like interesting to me because you know I'm just about old enough to remember like before there were sequencers. So, and, and <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't even know if people can imagine what that's like now, but I remember when I first started, you know, experimenting with making music myself, mm. the, the sequences hadn't been invented. So when you wanted to, when you wanted to put down a drum track, you know, if you were on your own, you had like a Porter studio, like I did, whatever you yeah. had to put down your drum beat. Then you want to play the bass line. You had to play the bass line all the way through. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Then you had to play your keys yeah. all the way through. You know, and then it was you, you was on the fourth track. You couldn't do nothing, so you had to bounce those three tracks to track four, and then you wanted had to add some more. But the point I'm making is there was no sequences. There was no way of playing something round and round and chopping it up and cutting it up and this and that, whatever. And I think even just those processes change the way people make music and the way music evolves. And um, I think it's important to kind of have a good understanding of all these mechanisms and all these different ways of approaching things. And I think that if you can harness all of them, then you can kind of see all the lanes, you know, so I, I just, back to what I was saying before, it's a balance thing really, isn't it? For sure. You know, I just wanted to, just to add to that. I remember doing a session um, with, um, with Skrillex and um, it was in uh, Westlake and Jess had a session 
Skrillex and, in, and invited me and some other people, you know, Skrillex is, is known predominantly as like a kind of, you know, the guy that kind of came with a really kind of American dubstep based kind of sound. And it was like, you know, oh my goodness, what's going on? Like, there's no music in this, da, 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 you know. People, I remember people saying at the time, there's no music in this, you know, blah, 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 blah. And um, it's just funny because when I was in the studio session with him, the guy actually shredded the guitar so bad. I was like... <laughs> honestly, I was like, oh my goodness, I forgot that you actually were in a band. That's right. You That's are right. actually an instrumentalist. You know how to play instruments. You understand the energy of how things feel on stage. You understand how to, you know, how it feels like to sing into a mic. That, that whole thing. It's just interesting that the guy that was like, you know, at the forefront of like that type of sound of that era anyway but but that's a great story too because people obviously obviously skrillex being the dubstep king and the fucking the laptop warrior and fucking he was known for being you know basically doing everything on his laptop but you know i guess it's interesting to know that even though that's the music he made that at the root of it there's still a musician there that can fucking shred a guitar do you know I, what i mean but um so bad i was like oh my <laughs> Goodness. Honestly, I'm shredding. But I actually think that that's what's interesting about that is, but he found something new. He found a new way to express himself musically. And I think that ultimately that's kind of always going to be, you know, you, I, I think that I, I was a big fan of, well, I know that was, am a big fan of Miles Davis. And I always think that it's, it's about, it's not just about what somebody does. It's about what they bring to the table. There's something new. And it's like, you know, Skrillex playing guitar in a rock band it's like yeah and like you know i'm sure there's just lots of people that can do that you know what i mean there's lots of people that could do that thing even if it's an amazing rock band or whatever but even still i think the bit to be able to make your own music and transform it into something that nobody's fucking heard and do it a different way i think that is um much more um of a kind of unique thing and that's not something that everybody can do absolutely you know i tell you one thing i do i do think the people that usually do do things like that, f- from my, mm-hmm. from from what I've seen, it's usually the people. Mm-hmm. I have like a little saying where I'm like, "Man, you've got to, you, you know, you've got to live a couple of lives, basically." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, even mm-hmm. like being a musician, man, it's like the journey to actually get to being good. The, even the journey to get to being decent. The amount of hours one has to put into actually knowing how to play those four chords on loop consistently. Honestly, it's actually very, very tough. It is. Well, and people forget too, you could spend a whole lot of time and not be a great musician too. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, it's, it's time consuming and there's no guarantees that there has to be that something else. There has to be that something extra that, um, that turns somebody or gives somebody the ability to really express themselves through music in a really interesting way. And I think that that's kind of what we're talking about. And I think that's, again, I think that kind of musicality is almost irrespective of the instrument. I think the instrument is just a tool for that artistry. Do you know what I mean? And it can change. Like, for example, you play drums, but you also play guitar, right? Yeah. 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 I remember like figuring out that like the instrument is you, your personality and your vibe, you you have to Mm -hmm. have to absorb music. And then, so whatever you play, your flavor comes through that. 
it's it's more like playing an instrument is 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 a is a technical thing like learning how to actually play the instrument but you yourself have to be musical you have to absorb music because it well it's a learned skill like a lot of people are forced to play music and they learn how to play scales and they learn how to read music and they learn how to play chords but it's a it's a learned skill it's like a lot of people have the ability to actually learn the skill of playing an instrument but then you know the actual skill of playing music or making or creating music is a whole other ball of wax. Do you know what I mean? A totally different thing. So what do you see with regards to yourself? What would you like to get into in the future as a musician, as a creative, as a developer of talent? What type of things do you see for you? What type of areas would you like to go in? Um, well, I mean, I've, I've kind of, I've had an interesting little journey so far, I would say, you know, it's like I've done six years with Jess Glynn, you know, playing drums with her. I've, I was in an indie band for four years. So that's like a decade um, of kind of it's definitely a decade. <laughs> it's definitely a full decade, a decade of stuff. Um, I definitely see myself. I'll definitely still will be playing drums. I just want to say like, that doesn't just because if, if you stop, making that your like vocation or that like your job doesn't mean that you you know you don't play i'm still going to play but i'm definitely going to go more down the road of actually producing artists um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. some people produce songs and i definitely want to do that thing i still personally feel like there's some music that i need to personally make for myself and put out when i say to produce an artist you know like you have a songwriter what they're actually doing is they're producing and when I mean producing, I mean to produce like like fruit, for example, you know, like a tree produces fruits, you know, a songwriter produces songs. Um, I feel like my weird little life so far and how kind of itsy-bitsy it's kind of been in different pies and stuff, I, I see myself being able to produce artists. So mm-hmm. just because I've been around them for so long and I've seen that, you know, like the development of like, a labyrinth before he could even play a guitar. I saw the whole process of like a Raf being able to make his beats sonically hit hard. Like, you know, mm-hmm. what mix is really wide. Like just seeing those mm-hmm. processes, it's kind of like, I kind of feel like I know how to make like producers like that or like artists. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so you feel as if you know how to identify talent and then how to guide it in the right way so that it can actually actualize. Absolutely. It can actually blossom into its, it's like best self as a creative mm-hmm, mm-hmm. creative standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, we're always forever learning, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm always like, you know, speaking to like my A&R friends, you know, like industry people I know and stuff. I'm like, Oh, what does this mean? And like, you know, what does that mean? And, you know, speaking to this lawyer and speaking to that manager, you know, but I can definitely see myself like, in maybe five years or so. I don't know. I don't know when. I'm not going to put a time on it, timer on it. But like, I can see myself like sure. having a label, developing a roster mm-hmm. of talent, being involved in like the writing process, being involved in the production process. Um, because mm-hmm. I actually mm-hmm. enjoy that. So if if I could if I could just produce like where I where my ears hear it, you know, I just do everything myself and be like, hey, so this, <laughs> you know. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the interesting thing um, 
to me. I mean, I guess, I mean, obviously, and you still drum too. I mean, who knows? You could you could develop an artist and tour and drum with that artist. That would be a strange thing, huh? Like an artist where the A&R <laughs> is actually on stage with them. <laughs> you could be the first one. I've got a friend called Jesse Dixon, and I love him. He's, he's an amazing guy. He actually used to play drum with an artist called Sam Henshaw. Basically, what my point is, is I'm, I, I'm kind of in a space now where I've realized, like, I think people kind of put things in boxes and people sometimes put themselves in boxes that don't exist. Like mm -hmm. you can actually, you can be an A&R and be a musician at the same time. You can do whatever mm -hmm. you like, you know, who would have thought like, Oh my goodness, like Skrillex, you know, you, you can't play guitar and be in this band and at the same time make electronic music. He was making electronic mm -hmm. music whilst he was in a band. Like whilst he was doing his thing, yeah, rock gigs. It's like That's right. there's no, there really is no rules, and I kind of actually feel like it's kind of my mission um, to put that energy out there because I know I know that throughout my career I've definitely felt that energy of people thinking that there's these boxes and you start falling into this idea that like oh well I I can't do this because I'm doing this or I can't do this because I'm doing this. You can actually do whatever you want in life. <laughs> you know absolutely I, I mean that's a great message man because i think that people do feel restricted sometimes and they feel like they have to approach things a certain way but people often forget as well it's like these titles and these roles they're all made up do you know I mean they're, they're all made up and they, and they change over time depending on who's doing them and how they choose to do them so it's like just even looking at the role of say a record producer, you know, in the 40s, in the 30s and 40s and 50s, what the record producer did was a lot more like what an A&R person would do now. Do you know what I mean? They would like, they would put bands together, they would find the artists, they'd book the studios, they would do whatever, but the arrangers and the musicians would make the music. It evolved. And then the producer became this person that was in the studio as the technologies developed Absolutely. and engineering and things of that change. Then a producer was something else. Absolutely. And then when you had drum machines and sequencers and whatnot, then it became something else. All of a sudden, the producer was somebody that sat behind a machine and clicked buttons and did things and played with sequencers. But it's constantly changing. It's a moving target. So it doesn't have to be one particular thing. And you can define the roles any way you want to. In fact, I actually learned that from you, Coach. You know, I... Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> no, because I, I, I... You're one of the people I learned that from anyway, because I, I saw, like, I was like... I've never seen anybody MD like this. It's a very, you know, it's <laughs> oh, honestly, it's like, you know, mm. you made your own lane. And I think that's just, I think it's a beautiful thing because once you make your own lane, you know, no one can be you. No one can, no one can do you. So you're just always going to have an edge because you're just being you. Yeah. And I think that that's something we can all do though. I think that, that, I think that's the key thing. I think that, I think I was saying to somebody the other day, it's about finding what you have that's unique that you can bring to the party and, you know, creating something out of that and using all those unique tools. So like you, for example, even taking something like your band experience or your experience with Jess, you've, see, you've actually been through the process of seeing an artist from the beginning of their career to them being a massive international worldwide star. And you've actually been on the stage with them when there's good times and bad times, you know what it's like when a show goes well, when it doesn't go well. So there's so much experience you can bring to um, 
the table and to the industry. And I think that's what's actually needed. I think it needs people that have had all these different experiences to then be a part of bringing things to market and shaping, I guess, the future of, you know, the, the next talents that come and the next kind of generation of music, musicians and artists that come about because we want it to kind of keep getting better and better. And we want to kind of, we all just want to listen to and be a part of and experience great art, right? Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've always been about, about the art first. That's kind of my thing. You know, I kind of actually, I, I learned this um, whilst I was kind of that odd child and stuff. It was like, you know, if, if you take care of the music, the music will take care of you. Like for me, that's kind of stuck mm. with me. That, and I don't, I don't think that's ever going to leave. I feel like musicians of, of this day and age, I feel like for the future, I feel like they're going to have, you know, a lot to offer the music industry, should I say, you know, in, in a whole, I think they're going to have, I mean, musicians always have, you know, it's an interesting thing because it was like, there was a period of time where it was like a lot of A&Rs were DJs and still are. There's a lot of, you know, like bloggers that like love music and stuff. And I I really respect that, you know, however, the, the, the musician, from my opinion, I'm not just saying this from, because I am a musician, but the musician just has a different way of listening. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's always getting, and it's always going to be an individual thing. Do you know what I mean? There's going to be, by the same token, there's going to be some people that don't have that. But I think that the people that do and that can draw on all these different experiences and all these different talents and all these different um, understandings, I think ultimately those are the people that have, um, you know, I think they have the most tools in their arsenal and um, can really be a positive influence on things moving forward mm. sweets it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you man um we could have done an episode just talking about you as a drummer but i wanted to kind of really focus in on you as a musician and as um and as a creative because i feel as if um that's something that's unique and it's not something we'll be able to talk a lot about with everybody do you know what i mean and um yeah i just wanted to thank you for coming on and sharing this time and um really appreciate it where if people want to plug into different things that you're doing and want to find out about different things that you're kind of working on where's the best place for them to find you okay so if you want to find me you can find me on instagram as sweet if you're interested in anything I've done or I'm doing drum wise I have an Instagram called bang the drums with sweets Uh, Mm -hmm. you can also find on my Instagram page sweet sticks and Mm -hmm. I've actually got a new podcast coming called stories with sweets that actually was birthed nice really randomly from this COVID-19 pandemic well, we're still here, man. We're still here fighting a good fight. Heart <laughs> for the music. Come on. That's right, man. That's right. All right, brother. Well, listen, I'll catch up with you soon, man. Take it easy. I'll see you, Kojo, yeah? All right. Peace, peace. All right. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Definitely one of a kind. If you're liking this podcast, please follow us on Instagram. Like, share, comment feedback join the mailing list all that good stuff in the next episode we go to la by denmark and we talk to my man quisk guitarist for roxy music 
and he's literally amassed millions of views for his jam tracks on YouTube. Stay tuned.